Today on the Matt Wall Show, Joe Biden went overseas to project strength to our adversaries. Instead, he fell apart on camera once again because he is a senile old man at the head of the most decrepit and pathetic gerontocracy in the history of the world. Also, another big sexual harassment scandal rocks the college football world, but there's more to the story. We'll talk about it. And a rapper is arrested for murder after allegedly confessing to the crime in a song. Plus, one of the hot new trends sweeping the country is called manifesting, which is the practice of making good things happen by thinking happy thoughts. Does it work? You won't be shocked to find out the answer to that question. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance objective and irreversible as Brazil, Russia, China, India, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies in trade instead of the U.S. dollar. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA, and you can too. You can protect your IRA or 401k by diversifying with gold from Birch Gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Learn if gold is right for you too. Text Walsh to 989898 and they'll send you a free info kit on gold with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews. I trust Birch Gold to help you diversify into gold. If a central bank digital currency becomes a reality, it'll be nice to have some gold to depend on. Again, text Walsh to 989898. We've grown so accustomed to being ruled by elderly politicians who are decaying in front of us that it's easy to forget how abnormal this actually is. But the truth is that there are countries in the world where the vast majority of elected officials are middle-aged and even capable of, if you can believe it, completing sentences. One of these countries is Sweden. Sweden's parliament is among the youngest in the world. The prime minister, speaker, first deputy speaker, second deputy speaker are all under the age of 60. This is a long-running trend in that country, which elected its youngest parliament in 2014. Going back for the last decade or so, Sweden hasn't had a prime minister over the age of 65. If you're looking for an explanation for why Sweden didn't lock down during COVID, and many people still are looking for an explanation, this seems like it might be a good place to start. Led by its relatively young government, Sweden didn't implement mask mandates. They didn't close the schools and restaurants and force everyone, regardless of their age, to stay in their little pods. Children didn't miss years of education and critical social development. Small businesses weren't destroyed. Pastors weren't hauled out of church services and thrown in prison. And after all that, after ignoring the infinite wisdom of Tony Fauci and the World Health Organization, Sweden recorded the lowest excess death rate of any European nation during COVID. In fact, Sweden's excess death rate was half of, America, of, uh, of our countries. Suicide and overdoses didn't spike. The morgues weren't overrun with COVID fatalities. People over the age of 70, in many cases, voluntarily stayed home. For everyone else, life continued as normal. Now, in retrospect, these are maybe some of the benefits of having leaders on the right end of the actuarial table. As the last few years have demonstrated, when politicians aren't themselves five seconds from keeling over dead, they're less likely to bring down all of society in a desperate attempt to prolong their own lives. On the other hand, when you're governed by a gerontocracy, especially a secular gerontocracy, which has nothing to look forward to after death, then you can't count on that kind of stability. 
You can't be assured that your leaders won't declare an emergency and take away your rights any more than you can be assured that uh, they won't start World War III in Ukraine because they want to play Churchill with the, with the time they have left on Earth. It's no secret that the United States has transformed into a gerontocracy in the last several years. Right now, uh, roughly one-fourth of Congress is over the age of 70. And that number has never been higher in American history. In 1900, nearly 40% of the politicians in the Senate and the House were in their 40s. That number is now down to just 20%. And of course, as we know, the current president is now the oldest sitting president to ever hold the office. Joe Biden will turn 81 in just a couple of months. In fact, presidents now are so old that the two far and away frontrunners for their party's nominations, Biden and Trump, are both older than Bill Clinton. And Bill Clinton is now, who was elected to his first term three decades ago. So when a current president is older than a former president who's been out of office for over 20 years, you know something is wrong. But you already knew all this. I mean, by this point, it's not exactly a secret that Joe Biden is old. What has only become apparent in recent days, however, is the extent of Joe Biden's decline, as well as the willingness of his staff to put his mental decay on full display for everyone to see. You know, we're all used to seeing footage of Biden falling apart or falling down or falling apart and then falling down in front of the cameras. What we're not used to seeing is what happened Sunday night in Hanoi. Uh, Joe Biden was in Vietnam supposedly to project strength against China. The idea is that Vietnam and the United States will uh, work together in a new strategic partnership that will uh, somehow deter the Chinese government from, say, invading Taiwan. But in the end, in a shocking turn of events, Joe Biden did not project strength against China. Instead, Biden led a rambling 30-minute press conference during which he admitted that he was just following orders from his staffers by calling on pre-selected reporters. And then Biden appeared to uh, lose his train of thought about a dozen times before saying out loud that he was going to bed. Watch. Light for, and uh, I see, I'm just following my orders here. Have a game plan. He may have a game plan. He just hasn't shared it with me. But I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go to bed. That is maybe the one single quote that most encapsulates Biden's presidency. It's the quote he'll be remembered by. I don't know about you, but I'm going to bed. Now, I have to say, I have to admit that at first I was a little underwhelmed by Trump's uh, Sleepy Joe nickname for Biden. Mostly because I would have preferred an alliteration like um, Geriatric Joe or Bumbling Biden, something like that. But it turns out that Trump, Trump really nailed it. He really did. And this was not one isolated senior moment during the presser either. This went on for a while. Towards the end of his press availability, Joe Biden uh, referred to the Southern Hemisphere as the third world before realizing that's not something you're supposed to say out loud. And then Joe Biden's press secretary, like uh, the man behind the curtain, cuts him off mid-sentence. Jazz music starts playing. The only thing they were missing was the big cartoon hook to drag him off stage. Uh, watch this. We talked about at the conference overall, we talked about stability. We talked about making sure that the third world, the, uh, excuse me, third world, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Southern Hemisphere had access to change it, had access. We, it wasn't confrontational at all. You came with thank, thank you, everybody. This ends thank, the count press thank, conference. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. 
with every person I met with. Mr. President, are you worried about your son being indicted, Mr. President? President of the United States, everybody. I, I don't think we've ever seen that before. I don't think we've ever seen staffers cut off a presidential press conference in mid-sentence because the president is babbling too much. And as embarrassing, embarrassing as this is, it, it would be a mistake to write it off as yet another Joe Biden gaffe and then just move on. And that's inevitably how these kinds of clips are typically spun in the media. The right uses them to say, ha, ah, Biden is old, and the left just ignores them. And then that's it. But there's something very significant about this. And perhaps the most significant takeaway from the whole incident is that, is that this press conference happened at all. At no point did anyone in the White House, apparently, or the Pentagon or the State Department, veto the idea of Joe Biden taking a trip to Vietnam where he would inevitably beclown himself on camera. Why is that? They knew he'd humiliate himself and the country. He does every time he's asked to speak off the cuff. They knew that. And they also knew that unless they intervened, he'd never shut up at the podium. This is also why he's given so few press conferences, uh, especially when compared to, to recent presidents, especially Donald Trump. So why was he up there at all? I mean, why go through the trouble of scheduling this trip? And why, as Joe Biden began rambling, did White House staffers twist the knife in such a, an overt public fashion, embarrassing him intentionally like that? Joe Biden's own press secretary played him out with lounge music against his wishes while he was still talking. It's hard to think of a more obvious way to humiliate a president of the United States. So if we're trying to, to intimidate China, this is a strange strategy, to say the least. On the other hand, if the goal was to give Xi Jinping a, a laugh and convince him that Taiwan is his for the taking, then actually the Biden administration just succeeded beyond its wildest imagination. The U.S. government, by sending Joe Biden to Hanoi, erased any doubt in Beijing as to the capability of Joe Biden to stand up for Taiwan or any other country in the region. And you have to wonder if that was the real point of the trip. Maybe an administration that's beholden to China wanted to send a signal to Beijing that they have nothing to worry about. If that's the case, then Joe Biden's presser is just one of many such signals that have been sent to our adversaries in recent weeks. 81-year-old Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell uh, isn't going to push back on China's territorial ambitions anytime soon. That much is clear. He's no longer able to reliably answer questions from the media without freezing up completely. In between reaffirming his indefinite commitment to spending billions of taxpayer dollars on Ukraine, Mitch McConnell is doing his best impression of a stroke victim. Now, you've likely seen the clips of McConnell standing at the microphone, staring blankly off into space, unable to speak, somehow managing to make John Fetterman look downright communicative by comparison. Now, of course, McConnell's physician, after that happened, wrote a letter, kind of a uh, nothing-to-see-here letter, insisting that McConnell is in tip-top shape. But you would have to have dementia yourself to believe that. Last week, to give another example, 83-year-old Nancy Pelosi claimed that she's running again to represent San Francisco because she's in, she is in gratitude to her constituents who really uh, need her to address the challenges the city is facing. Watch. I feel very exhilarated by the encouragement I had uh, to continue representing my great city of San Francisco. You have the White House behind you. I have homes in San Francisco behind me, and that is uh, my, my strength. And the, um, 
uh, needs that our, our city have right now really call for me to stay another term. I um, had the privilege of representing San Francisco for a long time, I've had, and they have given me the latitude to serve as speaker, as leader for over 20 years and, and whip as well. Uh, visit 87 countries, serve 30 years on the Intelligence Committee, all of those things, but at the same time, being central, central to my service was representing my district. Uh, in gratitude to them for that, I have agreed to stay on another term in order to help meet the needs that we have now. How generous of her. In gratitude, she's going to uh, remain in power. I'm so grateful that I will not relinquish power until, I am, uh, until I'm dead. That's the only way I'm going to relinquish it, because I'm so grateful. You know, in San Francisco, fecal matter is all over the place. Robberies are so frequent that news reporters can't cover crime anymore without getting robbed themselves. The city's office buildings are empty. Therefore, what San Francisco needs now, Nancy Pelosi says, is more of the same leadership that put them in that position to begin, to begin with. What it needs most of all is an ancient, decrepit old woman who's been in politics for 40 years and accomplished absolutely nothing the entire time. And somehow that sales pitch will work. Nancy Pelosi will indeed win re-election, assuming that she can survive to that point. In fact, if we're being honest, it may not even be necessary that she survives. Last year, a Democrat Pennsylvania state representative named Tony DeLuca was re-elected even, even though he died a month before election day. And in that same election, coincidentally enough, John Fetterman became one of Pennsylvania's two senators, even though he hasn't been able to string together sentences uh, for a long time. And you've seen all the painful videos of the last year or so. Uh, and in case you're wondering if Fetterman has maybe improved in recent weeks, the answer is that he has not. Here he was, just, just to show you, filming a campaign video for Bob Casey while wearing his signature hobo hoodie, during which Casey is basically holding back laughter because of how absurd the whole thing is. Watch. Hey, Bob Casey. John Fetterman. Hey, everybody. Hey, last year, you all helped elect John Fetterman to the United States Senate. I need your help in 2024. Please chip in whatever you can. I'm telling you how serious it is that we make sure we keep Bob Casey in the Senate right now. Can you help chipping in a couple bucks to make sure we keep Bob Casey right here in this Senate right now? Bob Casey. Thanks, John Fetterman. Hey, last year, you guys elected a cucumber to the Senate. So if you don't, re if you don't elect me, then, then, uh, then I'm going to be very insulted. So if, if you're going to elect this guy, then why wouldn't you also elect me? It's an interesting pitch. I mean, he makes a good point, actually. The 54-year-old adult male says, can you help chipping in a couple bucks? This is serious. Uh, Pennsylvania, uh, you know, th this is a guy who wants to represent Pennsylvania in the U.S. Senate. Can't even be bothered to take off the hoodie and put on a suit. John Fetterman, though, is not an elderly man, but he's the kind of politician who could only get elected in a gerontocracy. Only a country that has stopped caring about mental competence would even contemplate electing someone like Fetterman to represent a state of 13 million people. And, and we are long past that point. Dianne Feinstein uh, doesn't understand much, but she understands that at least. She currently represents a state of 40 million people, even after surrendering power of attorney to her daughter. Feinstein has also apparently surrendered legislative powers to her staff, who told her to shut up and vote aye in the middle of a hearing just last month. Uh, this is a pretty incredible clip. Watch this. Note the presence of a quorum. We will now vote to report the defense appropriations bill favorably subject to amendment. The clerk will call the roll. Senator Feinstein. 
Um, you say aye. Pardon me? Aye. Yeah. Uh, to say I, I would like to support a yes vote on this. Um, it provides $823 billion. That's an increase of $26 billion for the Department of Defense. And it funds priorities submitted. Yeah, just say aye. Okay, just aye. Aye. <laughs> Thank you. Senator Durbin, Senator Reid. Now, when you watch that, uh, beyond the obvious point, which is that Diane, Diane Feinstein is a decaying husk who shouldn't even have a driver's license, much less a Senate seat, notice again how the staff handle the situation. They just come right out and tell Feinstein what to do in full view of the public. They're not ashamed in any way of admitting that they are running Feinstein's office. And in that respect, they're just like Joe Biden's handlers who have no problem silencing the President of the United States with jazz music like he's a drunk winner at some award show that nobody watches. What this shows us is not simply that we're living in a gerontocracy. I mean, it's, it's, it's much worse than that. These episodes reveal that, like the late Soviet empire, we've actually gotten used to living in a gerontocracy. We're not ashamed of it anymore. Political operatives whose entire job is to shield their bosses from bad press have no problem shoving this in our faces. This means that our gerontocracy is much more than an international embarrassment. It's now a full-blown national security crisis. They aren't just laughing at our leaders in East Asia right now. This isn't just social media fodder for them. At this moment, our enemies are proceeding with the understanding that our government is incapable of holding a press conference, much less mounting any kind of defensive response to a surprise attack. And unfortunately for all of us, when it comes to that, they're probably right. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, it's fall, which means cozy nights with my family. Thanks to my friends at Tommy John, my loungewear for a night in has the perfect blend of comfort and breathability. Their loungewear has a level of softness like I've never felt before. Their incredibly soft loungewear is designed to envelope, uh, envelop you in a world of pure luxury. When you wear Tommy John, you're so much more comfortable that you can do everything better. Even their underwear has dozens of comfort innovations like breathable, lightweight, moisture-wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands that keep you uh, seven degrees cooler than cotton. Every purchase is backed by Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Get 20% off your first order right now at tommyjohn.com Walsh. That's 20% at tommyjohn.com Walsh. See site for details. Okay, we'll start uh, with this. Yahoo reports on a story that's gotten a lot of attention, made a lot of headlines uh, from, the, uh, from the college football world. A prominent football coach has been suspended, soon to be fired, most likely, after claims of sexual harassment. And the media has done their usual routine of just basically assuming the guy is guilty. Uh, the school's assuming the same. And there are some people on the other side that are defending the coach and saying, no, he's, he's certainly innocent. Um, and I sort of think that everyone is wrong. So it's one of those cases. Uh, but here's the story. Michigan State head football coach Mel Tucker has been suspended after reports he sexually harassed anti-rape activist Brenda Tracy. Multiple media reports uh, uh, reported late Saturday night that Tucker allegedly harassed Tracy as she was working with his team. Tracy, a rape survivor who works with college football teams and other organizations regarding sexual assault education, filed a complaint with Michigan State regarding Tucker's alleged actions 
and he's been the subject of a Title IX investigation at the school. Tucker, 51, is 19 and 14 in his time in Michigan State's as Michigan State's head coach, though 11 of those wins came in one season. He was uh, uh, hired by the Spartans ahead of the 2020 season after one year as Colorado's head coach. After a 2-5 and five debut season, Michigan, Michigan went 11-2 and two in 2021 and won the Peach Bowl. Um, the rapid improvement earned Tucker a 10-year contract extension with $95 million guaranteed. That money, however, is guaranteed only if Tucker is fired without cause and is at risk if the school finds that Tucker, quote, engaged in any conduct which constitutes moral turpitude or which, in the university's reasonable judgment, would tend to bring public disrespect, contempt, or ridicule. Okay, so uh, reading about the contract there, because there's some important context, potentially, Michigan State um, locked in with a $95 million contract, which, by the way, is already insane that universities have this kind of money to spend on football coaches. Nothing new. Nothing. This is not news, I realize, but it's worth reflecting on just a moment. $95 million on a football coach. Okay, but there's a, if there's a student debt crisis, it's on the taxpayers to fix. We're the ones who have to fix it. So the schools themselves have hundreds of millions lying around for football coaches but we have to pay off the loans of the college kids that those same schools scammed. Um, which is why, you know, I've, I've always been very much opposed to, to uh, student debt relief, you know, because that really means uh, redistribution of wealth where we're taking from people who didn't take out the loans, you know, working class people who didn't pay off the loans, and uh, we're paying off the loans of college graduates. It's kind of like a, a, an upper class welfare system. So I've always been opposed to that. However, the, the one form of student debt relief, student debt forgiveness that I personally could entertain is where you're taking the money from the schools. You're forcing the schools uh, to pay off the loans. Now, that's something we could talk about. The schools are the ones running this scam, and they're also the ones who have hundreds of millions of dollars, again, laying around. Anyway, um, so they locked in for this contract based on one good season. His other seasons have not been that good. So, so now they could potentially salvage most of that money if they fire him with cause for committing sexual harassment. The other point that we have to mention here is that uh, this, is a, this is a black head coach, which, you know, that, that does become relevant because um, there's very much an incentive for these schools to give big contracts to black head coaches so that they can show up. You know, he got this, he got this contract in 2020, probably not a coincidence. Um, but then also, if they want to fire somebody like that, then that's all the more reason why they need to have, uh, they need to have cause. They need to have a scandal. So we start to understand what their motive, motivations, the school motivations might be to take this claim seriously. Reading on, uh, Tracy says that Tucker made sexual comments about her and masturbated during a phone call between the two uh, in April 2022. According to USA Today, Tucker acknowledged his conduct during the phone call to Michigan State investigators and said in a letter to investigators that the two were having consensual, quote, phone sex. According to the USA Today report, Tucker, who is married, pursued Tracy romantically after she started working with the team. She reportedly told investigators she rebuffed Tucker's advances before he called her for over a half hour on April 26th. Now, some more important context that's not mentioned here. It's been shown through uh, phone records that Tracy and Tucker had, I think, 
27 phone calls that all averaged about 30 minutes before this, um, before the alleged sexual harassment and, the, and all that. 27 phone calls for 30 minutes. I have not talked on the phone with anyone for 30 minutes since I was in high school, maybe. So now imagine, like 30 minutes on the phone is a long time. That is a long time, especially, especially these days. That's, that might as well be 30 days on the phone. I mean, that is, a, that, is a, that is a marathon phone call. And now imagine 27 calls with a person for 30 minutes. The significance of that is it would seem to very, very much suggest that they were in some kind of romantic relationship. Okay, and I certainly cannot imagine a situation where a woman, where it would be appropriate for a woman to have 27 30-minute phone calls, often late at night, with a married man, who she knew, who she knew was married, of course. Um, also, by the way, Tucker says that two months after the phone sex call, she sent him a Happy Father's Day text message. Okay, continuing. Uh, now we're going to read what she told investigators about what happened. In her interview, Tracy became extremely tearful to the point of sobbing, describing this portion of the party's encounter. Um, a report from Michigan State obtained by USA Today said, Tracy could hear Tucker masturbating, including, quote, every stroke. She could hear the noise of some kind of lubrication being used. Tracy said it was so loud and gross. She could hear Tucker moaning and groaning. Tracy kind of froze in the moment at first. Tracy thought to herself, oh my God, this is happening and I can't stop it. It's going to happen whether I like it or not. Tracy was trying to figure out what to do. It didn't occur to Tracy that she could hang up. Tracy kept thinking over and over that she has to say something and that she couldn't let this happen again, referring to her prior experience of being a victim uh, slash survivor of sexual assault. All right. So I don't know what happened. Um, I don't know if, uh, if this guy is guilty or not of what he's being accused of. Here's what I think I do know, uh, that there are no good guys in this case. There's really no one to root for, right? Uh, you've got Michigan State giving this insane contract to this guy, then using this claim to get out of it. You've got Tucker, who at best, at best, is a married man with children having phone sex with some other woman. Um, and on top of that, on top of the fact that he's betraying his family, which you know is obviously the most important point, He's doing this after getting a $95 million contract. He just got paid a $95 million. You're going to put all that on the line to have phone sex with some random woman. So just utterly treacherous and reckless and stupid behavior by Tucker, again, at best. And then you've got Tracy, who at best, at best, chose to stay on the phone for apparently 36 minutes while a guy masturbates rather than just hanging up the damned phone. We're told it didn't occur to her that she could hang up. What? What do you mean? It didn't occur to you? You forgot that there's a hang up function on the phone? You didn't remember that? Oh, I can hang these things up. I had no idea. Oh, you mean I can, oh, I can take the phone down from my ear and hang it up. I didn't, I forgot that I could do that. So we're supposed to imagine her on the phone, like listening to this and going, I don't know what to do. How do I stop this? How do I stop hearing this thing that's coming out of this phone that's right against my ear? Um, like, is this the first time you've ever used a phone in your life that you don't know how these things work? 
So if Tucker had had uh, had uh, non-consensual phone sex, which you know was sexual harassment, if that happened, then he's a disgusting creep, um, at a minimum. If it was consensual, he's still a creep, given that he's married. But there has to also be like a, a modicum of personal responsibility that factors into this um, for the person on the other end of the phone, where you like, ex- you know. It's not victim, again, again, assuming that that the claim is true, that he did this without permission or without, you know, it it was not reciprocal. It's not victim blaming to just say, okay, like, just, you have agency as a person. Exercise a little bit of personal agency. It doesn't take much. It's not like they're in the same room or something and she can claim that she felt threatened by his presence. He's thousands of miles away. You're on the phone. But of course, the bigger question is whether uh, the claim of the lack of consent is even true. And, um, you know, some of these additional facts really call that into question. You know, the, the, the happy Father's Day text two months later, if that's the case, like you're claiming you're traumatized by this and then you text him happy Father's Day after it. That, that's hard to believe. Um, but, but who knows? I have no idea. I don't know Mel Tucker. I don't know the woman. Uh, one could be a liar. They both could be liars. I have absolutely no idea. No idea. All I can do is evaluate the facts that are not in dispute. And those facts are that Mel Tucker is a married man who had phone sex, whether reciprocal or not, with a woman who stayed on the phone with him for 36 minutes, a woman who was on the phone with him often late at night for half an hour at a time, 27 times, despite knowing that he's a married man. So it's just like one of those things where nobody is doing the right thing here and um, there just isn't any good guy at all. Um, And it does... And by the way, if, if Mel Tucker is innocent of the sexual harassment claim, um, it, it this is just another good reason to be faithful to your wife, okay? Not that you deserve to have a false accusation. If it is false, you know, no one deserves false accusations. But um, it is more difficult for me to have sympathy for someone when you're putting yourself in a situation like this. You're a married man going after this other woman on the phone, like you're putting yourself, if it's a false accusation, you're putting yourself in that position. Despite your $95 million contract, you've got a family to lose, you've got $100 million to lose, and you still do that, you're, you're a freaking moron. Which is why I've seen, I, I have seen some people, like I said, uh, some, uh, uh, mostly the media has been, just been assuming the guy's guilty because that's what you do in the Me Too era. I have seen a few people going the other way, some, some, a, a few commentators Said, oh, this man's innocent. He's being railroaded. Uh, he, he's, it's very hard to feel sorry for him either, one way or another. I mean, honestly. Um, okay. Just get married, stay married, and be faithful to your spouses. Solves a lot of these problems. It really, really does. Daily Wire has this report. Top lawmakers on the Senate's permanent subcommittee on investigations are asking for the FBI and the Department of Justice to provide unredacted documents on Saudi Arabia's role in 9-11 as numerous records on the subject have remained classified. In a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland and FBI Director Christopher Wray, uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal and Senator Ron Johnson asked for unredacted documents so they can better understand Saudi Arabia's connection to 9-11. The senators wrote on Sunday, quote, no one was more affected by these attacks than the families of those who lost their lives. Um, Our inquiry into Saudi Arabia's attempts to influence U.S. affairs has underscored yet again. The need for transparency, particularly regard, regarding Saudi Arabia's connections to the 9-11 attacks. Um, now, 
I bring this up because uh, this to me is where, you know, we, we just had you know, the anniversary of 9-11, of course, yesterday. And that always brings up the, the conversations about 9-11 conspiracy theories, which are kind of having their moment in the sun yet again. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it was a while. It seemed like we weren't talking about 9-11 conspiracy theories. Bush did 9-11, that sort of thing. Um, that was a very popular thing in the you know, early 2000s after 9-11. Now it's sort of uh, become, it's in vogue again. But this to me, when we talk about something like, what was Saudi Arabia's role in 9-11? What did, we, what did our, our government know about that? When did they know it? I mean, this is where the real 9-11 conspiracies, as far as I'm concerned, the legitimate ones come into play. There is no doubt that we haven't been told the full story about 9-11. I mean, that is just true. And of course, if you say, if you say even that these days, I think uh, you know, Ramaswamy said something like this recently, that we haven't been told the full, the full story. And if you say that, you're immediately accused of being a, cons- oh, you're, it's a 9-11 conspiracy theory. Well, there's just no question that there's been a cover-up of crucial information related to 9-11. But the cover-up, it seems to me, is about covering up the extent of the intelligence failures on 9-11, failures potentially both unintentional and intentional, um, also covering up how our lax immigration enforcement played a role in this, questions about what did our government know about, uh, about the 9-11 plan before it was carried out, who knew it, when did they know it, how much did they know, what was done, why wasn't anything done, was anything done? I mean, Lots of questions like that that have not been sufficiently answered. And is there a conspiracy there somewhere? I mean, quite possibly. I mean, multiple conspiracies. To me, though, the the absurd conspiracy theories are the ones about how the building was rigged with explosives or whatever. Um, I mean, that theory to me has never made any sense on any level whatsoever. Not uh, for a lot of reasons. I mean, one of them is just... So they rigged three buildings with TNT and nobody noticed these buildings that are open 24-7 and they rigged them and, and no one noticed that happening. Um, and then they they rigged the, the buildings with explosives and then flew planes into them. That's overkill. Like, why would they do that? Why wouldn't, if they wanted to have buildings blow up, blame it on Al-Qaeda um, and Al-Qaeda was going to like go along with this for some reason by, by, by taking credit for it then why wouldn't you just blow up the buildings with explosives and say that Al-Qaeda planted the explosives? Why, like, wouldn't that be the plan? That you, you say you're going to, let's rig them with explosives and then fly planes into them and then detonate them after the planes fly in. Um, it just, it doesn't make any sense. Like intuitively, on, a, on just a common sense level, that theory, and I've been, of course, like anyone else who lived through 9-11, I've been hearing these conspiracy theories for over 20 years now. Um, and they never made any sense to me especially when you don't need it. Like, from the very beginning, there are people saying, well, how did the buildings fall? How did they fall? There must have been, they must have been explosives. Commercial airliners flew into them. It's probably how they fell. Like, it's not, oh, you mean to tell me a commercial jet can take down a building? Yeah, I probably. I, I mean, not, none of us had ever seen anything like that before. But I can very, like anybody else, I can remember watching that as it unfolded and seeing the buildings fall, and there was nothing confusing to me about the buildings falling. The fact that the planes flew into the buildings, that was very confusing and bewildering. Uh, but, but the fact that the buildings fell after that, I didn't find that shocking. And I was like, well, yeah, that's probably what would happen. You, got, you, got, you have these commercial jets 
packed with jet fuel flying 400 miles an hour into a building is probably going to make them fall. Um, and then, and then another part of the theory, apparently, because then there's a, well, what happened to Building Seven? Building Seven uh, collapsed. So, 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 so the theory is that they rigged three buildings with explosives, and then flew planes only into two of them, and then detonated the third building anyway. Why would they even do that? If you're if you are the government mastermind coming up with all this, why what why why have built? It, it seems to me on the theory of just chaos and things are happening and then Building Seven falls like that makes more sense to me than this is all planned and for some reason like why did they do that? Did they do that just so they could lead a trail of breadcrumbs for people to, to crack the case? It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, how did Building Seven fall? Was well, all that again to me has never seemed all that confusing. You've got massive buildings on fire right next to them. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you've got debris, flaming debris falling down, sets the building on fire, the building falls. Like, it, it has never seemed all that confusing. But the thing that is most, to me, has always been absurd about this particular 9-11 conspiracy, and again, there are conspiracy theories that, that are very valid. Again, going back to what do the government know? What are the intelligence failures? How are they able to plan all this and, 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 and uh, pr- do like practice runs and stuff in the United States without us knowing about it? You know, all those kinds of things. But this particular theory about, which has always been a little bit like amorphous, you know, even by the conspiracy theories as well, they would have rigged with explosives. Who, who rigged them? How do they do it? Why? Why are they doing this? Never been very clear. But the, the thing about that particular theory that I've always found most absurd is just the idea that our government could pull that off and keep it a secret for over two decades. Like, if you know anything about our government and the bureaucracies that run our government, uh, they are not nearly competent enough to hatch a scheme like that, pull it off and keep it a secret. It, they just aren't. Um, we are, we are I mean, leaving us... Are there people in our government who are evil enough to do something like that if they thought they would benefit them? Sure. Competent enough? Uh, no. That is always going to ultimately be my, my number one pushback against some of the more, uh, shall we say, cinematic conspiracy theories involving our government. Yeah, there's, there's conspiracies that happen, but if, you, if, you, if your conspiracy relies on our government being really a bunch of evil geniuses, then, then uh, I mean, the evil part I can buy, the genius part I just can't. And, and as always, with this kind of conspiracy theory, the worst part about it is that it distracts from some of the conversations that we should be having. Um, and we're stuck in this kind of uh, Hollywood la-la land sort of thing. All right. Uh, what else do we got here? Maybe time for one more. And I got to skip ahead to this because it's really important. Um, a sad story, unfortunately, uh, which is another black man who has been falsely accused, uh, another victim of systemic racism. And CNN has the report about this. Nevada rapper, uh, a Nevada rapper was arrested on a murder charge after Las Vegas police said that he confessed to the murder in his song lyrics. Kenwan McDaniel was arrested August 29th on the charge of open murder with a deadly weapon. His bail was set Thursday at $1 million with electronic monitoring, according to court records. 
Uh, McDaniel has been considered a person of interest in the death of Randall Wallace on September 18th, 2021, in part due to his connection to a vehicle that matched the description of one used during the crime. Detectives noted the music, a uh, music video that was uh, posted in July from McDaniel bore a sufficient level of similarity to the details of the murder. This includes the fact that Kenwan confessed to the murder in his lyrics. Details provided by Kenwan in his music video were not released to the public and would not be common knowledge, uh, the warrant said. One lyric included in the warrant is, quote, this is a lyric in the video, parked the car, double back on feet, the smartest way to slide, drove in, double lock your man, make sure you got your bod. I don't know what that means. Double lock your man, make sure you got your bod. Anyway, the warrant states that, that, is a, that those are details of the killing. So apparently in the actual kill, we don't know exactly what happened to the killing, but apparently in the killing, uh, yo man was double locked and they made sure they got yo bod. So that did happen in the crime. And then it, it sh- shows up in the looks. Anyway, I just want to make sure I have this straight. Uh, someone is shot and killed. And you just assume that it's Kenwan McDaniel just because his car was at the scene of the crime and he also described the crime in graphic detail in a song and actually confessed to committing it. So just because of that, he's a suspect? Come on. Just come on. If I was his public defender, that would be the case I would make to the judge. Your Honor, come on. Relax, all right? Just let's be cool about this. But we know what's really going on here. Kenwan was arrested because he's black. Because he's black and because his car was at the scene of the crime and because he confessed to the murder in a song, but mostly because he's black. And I want to tell you something else about Kenwan McDaniel. And I know, I know a lot about this guy. I've been following his career for a long time. This man was turning his life around. Okay, he was he was uh, he, uh, he and he was a, he's a, he was a good kid. Uh, he won the spelling bee in second grade. I mean that didn't happen. He probably wouldn't he, he wouldn't win a second grade spelling bee today. But he did. He was about to get accepted into medical school. He was turning his life around, and now this. So actually, let's listen to a little bit. Of, I think we have the song, don't we? Yeah, we do have it. Okay, so we have the song. A little bit of the song where he allegedly confessed to the murder, and I think there you know the, the cops say that this song implicates him. I think it vindicates them. I, I, I think that you, that we can clearly show that he's, he's not guilty by this song when you listen to it. And I'll tell you why in a second, but let's listen. The reason why you did your punishment to that midget. How you let them turn your mama's spot into a place they kick it. That ain't what he banged with they hanged. So he in it. My day with that fire, you hear it? I see your body twitching. No ski, so you know it's me. I'll take dropping falls like he won't beef, man. You a hold of me. Hop up on FaceTime and cop and please, man. I'm exposing him. Drop another for somebody. Shh, I was supposed to be. Ain't touch none of mine. We all hear your partner lay deceased. Always speaking on KP. That's Went up on the jury, y'all left him dead. Dried up like a razor, blaming bro and secretly y'all know y'all the reason he dead. Hyped him up, pumped up his head. Back door, he been fled. I want rappers, I want pimps and trappers. Everybody around, let these hoes keep dropping falls. We fall funnels down. Uh, song by the way is called Fady Free, and uh, it's a great song. Uh, it's been on, I've been bumping it on my Spotify playlist for months. I play it all the time in the car with my kids. They're, I mean, every time I play it, they're like, oh, is this Fady Free again, Dad? Jeez. So I'm a big fan. 
but this, when you listen to the song, you know that he's innocent because there's no way he confessed to the murder in that song because he couldn't have confessed to anything because he's not speaking words. He's not speaking an actual human language of any kind. And so, I mean, how could he have, he's mumbling incoherently. So, you know, he, I mean, who knows what he's saying is the point. And, and that, that really should be the defense by what I assume is going to be a public defender. Uh, that should be the defense. Like, Your Honor, no one knows what the hell this guy's saying in that song. You know, we, we don't know. He could be giving us a cure for cancer for all we know. He could be, um, he could be giving us a new recipe for a great new uh, ham and cheese quiche for all we know. Like, he could be. We don't know. Nobody knows what he's saying. He doesn't even know what he's saying. So if you were to ask Ken Juan McDaniel, what were you trying to say in that song? He would not be able to tell you. Uh, and so, therefore, he is innocent. Free, free Ken Juan. Put that on the T-shirt. Uh, another innocent man, like Pooh Shiesty, uh, being taken down by the system. It's a travesty. All right, let's get to Was Walsh Wrong? You know, before giving our dog rough greens, he was so sad and lazy. Well, now he actually enjoys his squeaky toys and playing fetch with his Frisbee. Our pup's days are filled with laughter, exercise, and endless fun. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black, the founder of Rough Greens, is focused on improving the health of every dog in America. Little did I know, before I got Rough Greens, dog food is dead food. Everybody knows that nutrition isn't brown, it's green. Well, let Rough Greens boost your dog's food back to life. Rough Greens is a supplement that contains all the necessary vitamins, minerals, probiotics, omega oils, digestive enzymes, and antioxidants that your dog needs. You don't have to go out and buy new dog food. You just sprinkle Rough Greens on their food every day. Dog owners everywhere are raving about Rough Greens. It supports healthy joints, improves bad breath, boosts energy levels, and so much more. We are what we eat, and that goes for our dogs, too. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black is so confident Rough Greens will improve your dog's health. He's offering my listeners a free Jumpstart trial bag so your dog can try it. A free Jumpstart trial bag can be at your door in just a few business days. Go to roughgreens.com matt or call 844-ROUGH-700. That's ruffgreens.com matt or call 844-ROUGH-700 today. Okay, first of all, before we get to these uh, comments, you'll notice that the beautiful painting that used to sit behind me in this shot is gone. Uh, but th that's actually good news. Don't worry. Nothing's happened to the painting. It is gone now because it is uh, in my home where it belongs. I finally brought it home. And this is the painting that I had commissioned from Paint Your Life, depicting me meeting a group of aliens and giving them some merchandise from my uh, merch shop. Um, obviously, a depiction of an actual historical event, as we all know. It's a, and it's a huge painting. It's perfect for you know, a fireplace mantle and uh, as a focal point in a room. And that is now where it sits in my home. And first of all, I want you to see what it looks like in the room. I want you to see what it looks like in the room because I got home from work uh, last night. My wife was still out. So I was able to take the paint. I timed getting home for when she wouldn't be there because I, I um, uh, and not because I'm trying to sneak, I, but because I wanted to surprise her. I knew it'd be a great surprise for her. So I, I was able to take the painting in and uh, set it up right on the mantle. I, I moved aside whatever crap was already there and put my painting on the mantle, which is right in the uh, sitting room off of our master bedroom. So that my, and the reason I put it there is so that my wife could see it every night and every morning. Uh, every time she goes into our room, every time she wakes up, she'll see it right there. And I wanted to give her that gift uh, because I, because you know, I'm her husband. I love her so. Um, and anyway, I want you to see what it looks like in the space. So there's the, there's the, there it is in the space. Now, I mean, you have to admit, okay, the colors match. Like this looks good in that space. You have to admit that 
It actually looks good in the space. It, like, it matches. It does match, doesn't it? All the You got the whatever those colors are, and they all match together. I'm colorblind, but I do know that it matches. And, uh, and so this is the best troll. So you thought that, well, you put it somewhere where it clashes and looks gaudy and it doesn't work in the room, and that's the best way to troll my wife. Actually, the best way to troll her is to put it in a room where it kind of works. Because she, then she can't deny it. And she came home and she saw the painting there. And, uh, and she, even she, you know, she had, some, she had some thoughts about the painting and about the fact that it's in the room. So some thought, we don't need to talk about what the thoughts were. But she, even she had to admit that it works in the room. She had to admit that. And then, and then she said, well, it's, only, it's, a, it's an accident. You're colorblind. You didn't know that, that it would work. It just, it, well, was it an accident or was it fate? Okay. Ask yourself that. Is it an accident or is it providence? Is it divine providence? Think about it. Anyway, it's an extraordinary painting. And then uh, I also got an image of, uh, we'll put it in the next picture because I showed it to my kids. And that what this is not staged. This is their actual reaction to it. You can see my my son. He's he's almost like he's he's blown away by it. He's like this this picture of them looking at the painting itself looks like a Renaissance painting. So it's a Renaissance painting of people looking at a Renaissance quality painting, and my other son pointing at it. He, they're absolutely stunned by it, uh, staggered by its beauty. They may have been more into the painting than they otherwise would have been because I may have told them that this was a real event that actually occurred. And my three-year-old daughter, she certainly believed that, as she should. I don't know if the other two did, but they humored me anyway. And so that's where it is. And um, that is where it will stay. Uh, just great. Just, just amazing. And our, our house is now a home, officially. Okay, uh, so let's get some of these comments here. These are all, so I'll read, just read through a few of them and then I'll respond to them as a whole because these are all about toxic workplaces. We talked, uh, I guess it was last week now, about um, the Jimmy Fallon show and how it's another one of these um, places that's been exposed in a Rolling Stone article as being a toxic workplace. So this is the new, as I said, it's a kind of the Me Too movement now of toxic workplaces where every other month we're told about another place where the workers have revealed it's a toxic work environment. And then you read about you're expecting maybe uh, some 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 uh, dark and dirty secrets about what's going on behind the scenes in these places, and then you read about it, and it's just like, oh, the boss yelled at me once. We have to work. We have to answer emails. I had to answer an email at 7:30 p.m. once. It's so toxic. So I'm skeptical of the very concept of toxic workplaces. Uh, I think usually when someone talks about a toxic workplace, they're just describing a workplace and some of the challenges that inevitably come with that, but some of the comments disagreed. Uh, first one says, somebody please explain to me why my employer has the right to disrespect and belittle me, as Walsh apparently thinks they do. A leader does not have to disrespect or belittle their team to get results out of them. In fact, that's exactly how you get the worst results out of your team. You don't, if you don't want to give respect and dignity in the workplace, see ya. I'll find an employer who will. Cyberscape says, this is still a bad take. Ever since COVID and tons of people were either fired or quit, Everyone that remained was forced to do the work of two plus full-time employees for the same pay, myself included, and we get yelled at 40 hours a week because work isn't getting done as quickly. The workforce is more toxic now. Just because you haven't experienced it doesn't mean it's not happening. Uh, Richard says, Matt, when you've worked in an environment where your boss makes bad decisions, refuses to listen to employee concerns, then blames them for the inevitably poor outcome or for a manager who doesn't understand that being uptight and volatile doesn't get the best out of people— then you'll understand what a toxic work environment is. The real thing 
isn't just people getting hypersensitive about criticism or demanding special treatment. It's a very real, very stressful situation to find yourself in that can cause a great deal of damage. And Angela says, Matt, uh, Matt tried to claim this is a normal working environment. Sounds like an admission that this is exactly what it's like to work at the Daily Wire. And I'd be willing to bet that Diva Matt is doing the yelling. Okay. First of all, I've never yelled at anybody here. Um, rarely. Rarely have I yelled here. And that's true. Rarely. Uh, as for the rest of this, look, I never said that your employer should overwork you or should yell at you, or should make bad decisions. My point is that it's an element, uh, there's an element of this kind of thing in every job, in every workplace. I've had a lot of jobs in my life, uh, not that many over the past 10 years or so. I've, I've been more consistent since I you know, uh, got married and became a, you know, I had kids and became a real adult. But, um, so things have been more consistent, but for the 10 years before that, I had like, I don't know, 15 jobs or something. And one thing I've learned is that there are certain frustrations and complaints that you'll hear in literally every workplace without exception. I mean, one of the comments, what was one of the comments said, hey, Matt, I guess you've never worked in a place where your boss makes bad decisions. What? Do you actually think that there are, are any workplaces in existence where bosses don't make bad decisions? Bosses make bad decisions here. They do. I, for, for example, they have let me bring up aliens during every backstage for the past 14 months. The audience hates it. They don't want to hear about it anymore. And I keep bringing it up and ruining every show. And, and I'll bring it up again tonight. And no one will stop me. They won't stop me and I'll just keep doing it. So there are bad decisions everywhere, including here. And look, bad decisions, tempers flaring, frustrations, feeling underappreciated, overworked. Again, these are the experiences of all workers everywhere for all of time. And that doesn't make it okay. That doesn't mean that there aren't degrees to any of this and that you, know, you, that you can't get to a level where it really is beyond what's ordinary. But, um, and it doesn't mean that you should always accept your situation. I'm not saying that either. Okay, if you feel underpaid, maybe you are. Go try to negotiate for a higher salary. I've done that plenty of times go into the boss's office and say, look, this is what I'm getting paid. This is what I think I deserve to get paid. And here's why. And, and you talk about it. Sometimes it'll go your way. Sometimes it doesn't. But again, these are universal experiences. Uh, they just are. They just are. And let me ask you this. Do you think that there's any workplace in the world where employees don't gather together in the break room and gossip and complain about where they work? Do you think there's any workplace where in the break room, the employees go, man, everything's just perfect here. Everything's great. And I have no complaints. What about you? Do you have any complaints? No, I have no complaints. Everything's great. Everything is absolutely great. I, everything has gone 100% how I want all the time. Maybe that's what employees who work in like Kim Jong-un's palace might say in the break room, if they have a break room, which they probably don't. But that's only because they know that if they're overheard, they'll be fed to the wild hyenas in the basement. Um, but in most cases, there are complaints, and uh, many of them are valid. Some of them aren't, but many of them are valid. So the question is whether you want to dwell on that and pity yourself and cry about your toxic workplace. Uh, you know, say, my workplace is toxic. I'm a victim. This is terrible. It's the worst thing. It's uh, everything. I don't like it. I don't like any of it. Or whether you want to succeed in spite of all that 
and, and, and you know, even use your coworker's self-pity and doomerism and pessimism as an opportunity to climb higher on the ladder while they're all down there, you know, feeling sorry for themselves and all of that. Like, so those are the two options. And, um, and that's, that's, that's it for me. Like, that's, that's, that's the point. Um, yeah, there are complaints. Some of them are valid, but do you, you, you know, and you can d- dwell on That's the thing with the toxic workplace stuff is just dwelling on the complaints, self-pity, and, and all the rest of it, and it's not going to get you uh, far in life, unfortunately. Hi, it's me, Matt Walsh, best-selling author and flannel shirt enthusiast. Halloween is almost upon us, and there's nothing scarier than handing out candy from woke corporations that hate your values. Back in March, in response to a chocolate ad featuring a man who thinks he's a woman, on Women's Day, we decided to launch Jeremy's Chocolate, and people responded by the hundreds of thousands. It was a runaway success. So here's your friendly reminder that Halloween is approaching and it's time to stock up on good unwoke chocolate. Head over to jeremyschocolate.com and order your chocolate today. That was a message from me, Matt Walsh. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. One of the hottest new trends, which is really a new version of last decade's hot new trend and the decade before that and before that and so on, is called manifesting. This is the practice of trying to get good results by doing absolutely nothing at all. And to engage in manifesting is to think happy thoughts and then expect happy things to materialize for you out of thin air as a reward. It's essentially optimism on steroids, or maybe more like optimism on hallucinogens. And not to skip to the end of the conversation, but the first thing you should know about manifesting is that the only thing it actually manifests is disappointment and failure. Here's the New York Post on that, quote, Manifesting, the suddenly trendy practice of thinking that aspirational thoughts or ideas will cosmically attract success, might not be as harmlessly woo-woo as it's hyped up to be. Those who believe in the practice of manifesting are at higher risk of going bankrupt, according to a new study published in the uh, Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin. Researchers from the University of Queensland and Australia also found that daydream believers were more likely to be lured into risky investments and more apt to dangerously presume that they can achieve an unrealistic level of success in a short amount of time. Imagine that. Quote, in our studies, we define manifestation as the belief that if you send out your desires to the universe through positive thoughts, visualization, or acting as if goals have already come true, like writing a pretend check to yourself, the universe will deliver what you desire, lead study author Lucas Dixon told the Times UK. Uh, This Uh, appears to be the the fundamental belief that lies behind manifesting faith that the universe is not only a conscious entity, but one that is generous and kind and wants us all to be happy and successful. This belief is, to put it mildly, misguided. And we'll get back to that in a moment, but a little bit more from the Post report, quote, manifestation could lead to people fixating more on symbolic actions like visualizing success rather than instrumental actions such as managing personal finances. Those who believe in manifesting are more likely to feel that they have control over fairly uncontrollable aspects of their life, whether they get rich quick or become famous, Dixon said. In business, this could lead to an opportunity cost where time is spent focusing on more uncontrollable long-term goals rather than controllable short-term goals. Now, that's what manifesting is. Uh, and this all makes you wonder where this manifesting stuff is coming from, where, what's driving its popularity. Where are people getting these ideas? Well, like all bad ideas in modern society, the answer is mostly TikTok. On that platform, countless influencers have manifested millions of followers for themselves by promising to give special manifestation tips, tricks, and techniques. 
And here's just one of these videos that has, by the way, over 100,000 likes, very popular. And uh, here are the techniques that she suggests. Watch. This manifestation method is gonna get you anything you want. Every time I do this method, I quantum leap my life. Literally things start manifesting within 24 hours. I've used this method to manifest money. I've used this method to manifest my relationship. And I've used this method to manifest anything on my vision board whenever I feel aligned with it. Make sure you bookmark this because this is a method that you're never gonna forget. See, most people start manifesting by saying, this is what I want. Instead of telling the universe, this is what I want, I tell the universe to show me how effortlessly this comes to me. You can do this to manifest money. You can do this to manifest your special person. You can do this to manifest a new version of yourself. Never again say, I want this, because that whole phrase implies lack. I teach you how to manifest in 30 days here. Now, watching, watching that video, I'm reminded of uh, being in third grade, or maybe it was fourth grade, at the beginning of the school year, when the teacher told us to write down our hopes and dreams for the year on a piece of paper. And then she gave us uh, envelopes and told us to decorate the envelopes with pretty colors. And then we put the paper with our hopes and dreams into the envelope, and we put our envelopes in a special box, which I think she called our dream box or hope bin or something like that. Anyway, even at eight years old, I can remember thinking how pointless and fruitless the whole exercise was. But based on the popularity of this manifesting trend, it's very troubling to think that so many adults lack the skepticism that I had when I was eight. And just so you know, I was not a very smart eight-year-old at all, just to be clear. Now, if you spend any time on uh, manifestation TikTok, you'll notice that each manifesting guru has their own magical combination of words that's supposed to lead to health and prosperity. Uh, none of them can seem to agree on what the special phrase is supposed to be. Watch. Use this one affirmation to manifest money within 24 hours. I want you to comment down below if you manifest any sort of money within 24 hours. I'm assured to you that it will work. I am magnetic to money. Money can't get enough of me. I am magnetic to money. Money cannot get enough of me. Visualize yourself as a magnet, drawing in abundance and wealth because you are a beautiful being and you deserve to live an enriching, fulfilling life. Follow for more manifestation tips. Manifestation tips. There it is. I guess I'll have to go check my bank account to see if that worked, though I don't have very high hopes. How is this even supposed to work, by the way? Do you, do you say the phrase and the money falls out of the sky? Does it materialize out of thin air? Or are other people with money suddenly put under some kind of spell where they feel compelled by mysterious forces to give that money to you? And if that's it, then isn't this kind of a cosmic form of attempted robbery? I guess that's the sort of ethical question we talk about if we could get past the fact that all this is abject nonsense and we really can't get past that fact. Just as one last example, here's another manifestation expert with um, more conflicting manifestation advice. And this one has nearly 200,000 likes. Here's what she advises, watch. If you need to manifest something overnight, get nearly instant results. To manifest a text, a call, college acceptance, to hear good news, this is one of the methods that the people who are doing Manifest Magic at the top of my page are using to see results like this. You and I are going to be manifesting whatever it is you desire during this video right here, right now. So get ready. This is the I am sure method. Right now, close your eyes and get very clear on what your intention is. What is it exactly that you are trying to manifest? Take another 
second to really think about it. What is it? We know our thoughts create a reality, but our words create our reality even faster. We're going to be penetrating into our subconscious mind, reprogramming it. These three words will instantly align you and put you into frequency that has the desire. You are now going to affirm out loud, I am sure, followed by your desired manifestation in the present tense. For example, I am sure I got the promotion. I am sure Jake texted me. Repeat it out loud 10 times. Now this is even more effective if you are able to write this out 10 times on a piece of paper. Until you fall asleep tonight, every single time the desire pops into your head, repeat to yourself, I am sure X. This is one of the methods that the people who are doing my manifest magic workshop at the top of my page are using to see results like this. Try it out, fall for more, and make sure you grab that workshop. I am sure every TikTok influencer will float off into space. I am sure every TikTok influencer will float off into space. I am sure every TikTok influencer will float off into space. Maybe I just solved the TikTok problem. Or maybe I accomplished nothing at all. I wouldn't put much money on the former. Now, you know, we aren't going to spend any more time establishing that all this is totally bogus. The only thing your manifestations manifest is more bull****. And we don't need to harp on that. Instead, I think there are two more specific points that are worth making here. First, manifestation is itself yet another manifestation of a secular society's need for religion. What we discover time and time again is that you cannot really have an entirely irreligious culture. Humanity needs religion. If you chase religion out, you'll, you'll be left with a religion-sized hole that must be filled, and in its place will inevitably be just a secularized version of what it was replacing. In other words, manifesting is nothing more than a godless prayer. That is, it's a prayer that rejects the being who can actually answer the prayer. It's a prayer that calls upon the universe for aid rather than calling upon the creator of the universe. And the thing about prayer, though, traditional prayer, religious prayer, is that you can't treat it like a magical spell. It's not a mystical incantation that will bring you fortune and fame if you utter the correct combination of syllables. In Christianity, to pray is to lift your heart and mind to God, to lift, you know, to look towards heaven, to humble yourself, and yes, sometimes to ask for something that you need or want, though that's not the only reason a person should pray. And at any rate, the answer, in, you know, from the Christian conception of prayer, the answer to the prayer may be no. In fact, oftentimes it is. And the faithful Christian understands this and accepts it. He also understands that God expects us to participate in our own lives. He expects us to work and strive. If we sit around chanting about all the stuff we want, we can be pretty sure that we won't get anything. But the modern secularist removes all this from his version of prayer. He removes God first and foremost. He removes humility. He removes his own obligation to act and to work and to seek and to put in the effort. And what we're left with is an entirely self-centered exercise in futility calling out to nothing and nobody, demanding that you know, what you don't deserve and refuse to work for. And that's because, and here's the second important point, if you are telling the universe what you want, you are talking to empty space. The universe doesn't care about you. The universe doesn't know you exist. The universe doesn't know anything because it has no mind. It is big, dumb, violent, terrifying. The universe would destroy you and the planet you live on without thinking twice because it doesn't think at all. The universe is indifferent. This is the reality we have to just accept. We live in an indifferent universe. The universe itself is indifferent. It is not gonna make fortune and fame fall out of the sky for you. It'll give you nothing from the sky, but maybe rain. And it will usually be more rain than you want or not as much as you need because the universe doesn't care what you want or need. That's the cold reality. It is a reality as cold as the universe itself 
which, by the way, is about negative 450 degrees Fahrenheit on average. What does this mean? It means that if you want someone to love and care about you, you need to pray to God, not a big empty space. It also means that even if you pray to God, you still need to work towards your goals. Nothing wrong with having big aspirations, but you need to be willing to slave away day after day, dealing with all the frustrations and minutiae in order to actually make those aspirations manifest into something tangible. The manifestation is something that you do yourself. You make them manifest. If you aren't willing to do that, then you'll just be a loser, whispering sweet nothings to yourself, accomplishing nothing, and becoming nobody. That's what manifesting will get you. And it's why manifesting is today manifestly canceled. That'll do it for the show today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed.